Eavesdrop on Experts, a podcast about stories of inspiration and insights. It's where expert types obsess, confess and profess. You'll meet people you wouldn't normally meet, but we'll be glad you did. I'm Chris Hatzis. Let's eavesdrop on experts and see how these 21st century explorers are changing the world. One lecture, one experiment, one interview at a time. I'm here at a farmer's market. It's a busy day. Individuals and groups navigate what is on offer. It's all very nice. Most appear to be having a good time. But all is not completely equal. We still encounter elements of racism, sexism, ageism and homophobia that take a toll on individuals. Added to this list is ableism. Many Australians with disabilities, and that's one in five of us, experience a consistently low quality of life and have poorer mental and physical health because of it. They experience social exclusion more than any other group in society, resulting in that society making people with disabilities disadvantaged and sick. Our expert today knows this firsthand. She acquired a disability as an adult. One of the major misconceptions, I think, is that people with disabilities kind of by definition have poorer health, which is is kind of rubbish, really, you know, because most of the time their disability doesn't affect lots of other things, like whether they get diabetes or whether they have a heart attack. They're just kind of like the rest of us. That is Professor Anne Kavanagh from the Centre of Health Equity, Melbourne School of Population and Global Health at the University of Melbourne. She's meeting up with reporter Dr Andy Horvath for a chat over an organic fair trade coffee about this human rights issue. And when people ask you at a barbecue what you do, what do you say to them? I say, well, first of all, I say I'm an epidemiologist and I say, do you know what that is? And they say, oh, I think it's something to do with skin. And I say, off the mark, that's a dermatologist. And so then I say, well, actually, I'm interested in things that make particular groups of people less well than other groups of people um, and interested in some of the statistics about that. And that's kind of what an epidemiologist is. So Anne, what is it that you explore? When you apply for a research grant, what is your major research question? Mainly at the moment, um, in my current phase of my career, I'm kind of interested in the health of people with disabilities. And I'm interested in how social factors affect the health of people with disabilities. So things like, are they employed? What kind of housing do people live in? And those kinds of things. So what drives me with that, though, is to say that disability is not uh, does not necessarily equal poor health, which is kind of trying to actually challenge the view in society that people with disabilities have poor health by definition, that having a disability means you're unhealthy. Um, But actually, we do know that people with disabilities' poor health is not just due to things that are wrong with um, because they have a spinal cord injury or because they have autism or whatever. Um, Part of it is driven by the fact that they actually live you know, they're poorer often, they live in poor quality housing, they're less likely to be employed. If they are employed, they have poorer quality jobs, those kinds of things. So I'm interested to kind of work out what we could do at a, you know, government level in the community to enable people with disabilities to be less disadvantaged and health and hence improve their health and wellbeing. So what misconceptions do people have about disability in society? Where do you start? Um 
First of all, the word itself brings up questions about people not being able to do certain kinds of things. So the first thing that people come to mind is, oh, disability, it means they can't do something or that means that they're unhealthy. Um, But actually, those things are are false, really, um, and have consequences for the way in which people with disabilities experience their own lives and their own health. So how does it affect them? I guess it comes down to people's attitudes. A lot of the time, it's the way in which society thinks Um, puts up barriers, um, both physical in terms of attitudes as well, so that people with disabilities will often not have the kind of jobs that they might be able to do, but there's assumptions about what what they're able to do that means that they don't get those kind of jobs or they don't get promoted in those kind of jobs. and, And that has consequences, I guess, for the kind of income that they earn, the amount of money they earn, so their choices about where they can be housed, how, you know, what it would mean to be in a relationship with someone with a disability, for instance. So all of those kind of preconceptions. So it all cascades. Yes, exactly. So they often live in quite poor conditions and which then has ongoing effects for their health. And one of the things, I guess, in terms of health is that one of the major misconceptions, I think, is that People with disabilities kind of by definition have poorer health, which is is kind of rubbish really, you know, because most of the time their disability doesn't affect lots of other things like whether they get diabetes or whether they have a heart attack. They're just kind of like the rest of us Um, or we are kind of like the rest of you or whatever. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's all a spectrum and a blur. In fact, name anyone without a disability. That's true, although I do want to highlight that Um, And some people talk about that, um, but some people in the disability sector get quite angry about that. Apologies to my disability brothers and sisters. Well, I guess what they're trying to say is we do have a different experience of life when we have disabilities that do have kind of major impacts. Look, I don't know about you, but just listening to Anne Kavanagh speak for not even five minutes, and I'm already educated and enlightened. Actually, let's talk about the definition of disability. I mean, there's disability and disability. I've just gone to embarrass myself by being so not 21st century and saying I have a disability too. We all have disabilities. It's a spectrum. But however, there are some disabilities that do prevent us from being in that perhaps mainstream of society in terms of opportunities, in terms of all sorts of uh, cultural and social activities. Well, okay, so we can go back to kind of formal definitions of disability. So um, we would talk about, and we'd make here the distinction between what we might call an impairment, which might be a visual impairment. You People might have been born with a congenital um, abnormality that caused a visual impairment. And then we can talk about disability, which is that impairment plus the way in which society is, which affects how someone with that impairment can participate in society. So that relates to attitudes, physical barriers to access, um, lots and lots of other kinds of things I've tried off the top of my head. We can kind of think they all really do come back to attitudes in some ways because they're about the way in which society organises itself to enable people to participate fully. And that is what disability is. I was reading about you and... I saw you use terms like heterosexism, racism, classism, but you also used a term, ableism. What is ableism? Ableism, I think, is the most misunderstood or under-recognised, maybe, is a better way of putting it, um, ism. (laughs) 
And it really is um, viewing the world through the eyes of the able-bodied. And so what you don't see then is the ways in which society set itself up or we work together or whatever so that it excludes certain groups of people. And there it comes with heterosexism, assumptions around what relationships should be, that the heterosexual is the norm, that the able-bodied is the norm. You know, that's an example of that. So we don't organise society to be enable participation of people with disabilities in the same ways as we do the so-called able-bodied. Ableism. Ah, yes. A lot of us would be guilty of it, I reckon. Of all the discriminatory isms out there that exist, it's the ones that aren't as upfront and obvious that can be most damaging. And tell me about why you do this particular type of research. What inspired you to get into this area? My son was my inspiration, I would say. Um, So I've always been driven by social justice why I came into public health, why I moved out of being a doctor, clinical doctor, into public health. Um, And uh, I was a late mum. (laughs) Um, And so I'd already had quite an established career, was here at the university as a professor. And and it became obvious within the first few years after he was born that he had quite a significant developmental delay and subsequently um, had a diagnosis of autism and an intellectual disability and a variety of other things. And that just brought me into contact with a whole different world, absolutely different world of parenting differently than what most of my colleagues had experienced, Um, but also an activist world that I didn't even really know was there. Um, And it was exciting and it was invigorating. And I always say... The best thing and the best committee I ever went on was my son's school school council because I could see practical implications of my involvement in that. And so I guess and also through his school recognised that there was often multiple disadvantage among kids with disability than their families. So I became interested then and then I got really inspired by a lot of the activists in the space and and recognised that in public health there was just no one doing disability research from the from the, the positive view of disability does not mean poor health. They were always in public health thinking about disability as a kind of deficit and some, a failure of public health, if you like. So I kind of thought, well, I've got, I've got a lot of expertise here. I've been around for a while and shifting this focus is kind of inspiring. And then about uh, several years later, five or six years later, I myself was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis and was quite unwell, uh, took some time out of work, and I was just starting to get interested in disability research at that point, it was just sort of a moving into it in relation to having been inspired by my son. And I thought, mm, I think I'm meant to do this, you know, what am I going to do for the rest of my career? I thought, I've been in academia a long time, you know, maybe I'm going to go someplace else. But then I realised the best pl- the best set of skills I had was as a academic. I was a respected public health researcher. So here was something I could really do. And from my own lived experience as both a parent and someone who'd experienced quite significant um, uh, symptoms from my MS. Talking about this rather ugly notion of burden of society and reframing that to contributors to society, 
I've heard you quote some astronomical figure um, that the labour force of working age disabled Australians actually is being underutilised and that uh, we could probably follow a New Zealand model. Can you explain that? Okay. Um, Australia has one of the lowest labour force participation rates, one of the highest unemployment rates in the OECD um, and which really reads, we compare it to others, comparable countries. Um, and it hasn't improved. hasn't improved for 20 years. It's been about the same. If we got our act together, how much money could it generate? It's something like $40 billion, um, extra. So there's economic reasons. For Absolutely. It. And that's what I think that society needs to get, you know, like we're actually... And people with disabilities want to work. Yep. They want to work. And you talk to some really, you know, you talk about Graham Innes, you know, the ex-disability discrimination commissioner, when he um, graduated from law, could not get a job as a lawyer, could not get a job as a lawyer, went in as a very junior clerk in the public service to work his way up. And many people with disabilities tell those stories. I'm just wondering about gender and disability. Are there issues there that emerge? This is a really interesting space because we're now talking about the intersection of two different kinds of identity slash social kind of categories, social groups. Um, and certainly the view in the disability sector has very much been around that women may experience double disadvantage because they're disadvantaged because they're women and they're disadvantaged because they have a disability. Well, it depends what you're talking about when you talk about that. Okay, so... The fairly obvious one which we start talking about is violence. So women with disabilities have very high levels of violence, you know, double that of other women um, in society. So high levels, they experience high levels of interpartner violence, sexual assault, all kinds of violence. Men with disabilities also experience higher violence than men with disabilities. Men without disabilities, sorry. Did you say it's double the likelihood? That is just extraordinary. Yeah, and depressing, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and and I don't even know. I suspect it's a bit higher than that because there's some problems with the way the statistics have been collected. Why? I think when we think about violence, um, if you think about that it's something to do with kind of inequities in, in relation to c control and power and so forth, that you will often see that um, in you've got that kind of elevated kind of power differential for women with disabilities, which may, they may be relying on their partner or uh, for support in some yeah. ways. Um, and so it, it changes the nature of that relationship. Um, and, and it's not surprising that men with disabilities also experience higher levels of domestic violence than men without disabilities, uh, partly for those reasons as well. Um, and interestingly, when you start to look at gender and how it... Um, and I, I haven't done this research myself, but some very good scholars internationally have looked at how do we think about gender and disability. And often we women with disabilities are kind of asexualised, may kind of and, and child infant infantilized as well as if they don't have a sexuality. And men with disabilities often describe a similar experience of being feminized and and not being real men. They it really throws on its head how we understand gender. It intersects with those um, things. We're all getting older. It's not just me, it's all of you. Uh, but as an adult, we can acquire a disability. 
as we age. Yeah, and I mean, that's what happened to me, really, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I got multiple a diagnosis of multiple sclerosis when I was in my late 40s, you know. Um, so, yes, and that disrupts your whole questions about who you are. It changes how you think about yourself. If you acquire a disability, suddenly you're not the person that you were before. You're unable to do the kind of things you were able to be before. So, for instance, you know, for about a year after I was diagnosed, I couldn't ride my bike and I've always thought of myself as a bike rider and that was really annoying, you know, like I really wanted to be a bike rider. And that sounds really small, but, you know, and, and it is really small. But it disrupts that. It also disrupts, you know, potentially your career, which is it potentially disrupts a whole lot of things you might have planned to do or be and you have to shift that. And um, and certainly our work showing uh, with people who have acquired a disability in adulthood shows that there are quite profound mental health effects and the kinds of things um, that make them worse are being in in dis- living in disadvantaged circumstances before they actually acquire the disability. So someone who is living in housing of can't afford their housing or they have a low level job or yeah. you know or they have the kind of job that it's not really easy to accommodate um, the changes in their capacity potentially um, that has major effects on their and and the kind of social support they have in their networks so we're trying to work out ways if someone does acquire a disability in adulthood what are the kind of social policy things we could do to improve their health outcomes. So that's the kind of work we're doing on adulthood, yeah. What would you like us to think next time we see something out there in society to make us rethink ableism, disability in society? One is when you next time you go to a restaurant and you recognise that there are only stairs into the restaurant, think about who can't get in. That's every day, every day of people's lives they experience that. Second, next time you're in an area where people are talking really loudly, there's multiple people talking and you're at the same time trying to communicate with someone who perhaps has autism or some other communication problem and there's just too much going on. Think about that as not enabling someone to participate. Think about all of those spaces. How do public and private spaces prevent or enable people with disabilities to be part of them. What an extremely eye and ear opening chat. I think from now on, the more we look around the little world each of us inhabit, we'll have a better understanding of what others are going through each time they do what are seemingly to us simple things. Because sometimes they aren't. And after listening to Anne Kavanagh, I think society really needs to have a think about it. And then, hopefully, change. Thanks to our reporter, Dr. Andy Horvath. And thanks to our guest, Professor Anne Kavanagh, Head of Gender and Women's Health Centre of Health Equity, Melbourne School of Population and Global Health at the University of Melbourne. Eavesdrop on Experts, Stories of Inspiration and Insights, is a production of the University of Melbourne, Australia. This episode was recorded on the 15th of March, 2017. You can find a full transcript on our website. Audio recording by Gavin Neighbour. Production assistance by Claudia Hooper and Cecilia Robinson. Co-produced by Dr Andy Horvath. Don't forget, you can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher and SoundCloud, as well as on our website. I'm Chris Hatzis. Join us again next time for another Eavesdrop on Experts.